investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamachko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, ladies and gents, to episode 58 of the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. And I'm Mike Kesslering. Today's Friday, the 13th, March 13th, 2020. Wild days uh, in the markets this week. We had global equities plunge into bear market as the WHO declared the coronavirus a pandemic. But we ask, is the bad news already priced in? Crude oil plummets as a price war breaks out between Saudi Arabia and Russia. What's next for the energy market? Lastly, we wanted to chat about Aeon's friendly acquisition of rival Willis Towers Watson in a $30 billion insurance deal. Is the M&A or is the market panic affecting the M&A market? The most important thing we wanted to chat about this week is just the massive volatility in equity markets. We had just uh, huge, huge moves up and down, mostly down this week, but Friday the 13th did have a plus 10% update on the Dow. What we had, major equities and indices, we had the S&P 500, the MSCI, All Country World Index, and the TSX Composite, they all fell into bear market territory, meaning greater than a minus 20% decline, really all based off coronavirus panic. That's the story here. It keeps getting worse and worse. The WHO declared the outbreak a, a, a pandemic. Uh, major markets in Europe were down over 30%. In Canada, the TSX down over 30%. I believe the S&P 500 was down as much as 27%. Really had airlines, energy, and cruise companies leading the market downward as the travel industry was the hardest hit from the virus-led global slowdown. Governments implementing and companies implementing no travel policies. What caused a really big drawdown, especially on Thursday, Black Thursday? Some investors were disappointed that President Trump didn't clearly articulate details of a stimulus package. Also, concern about lack of coordination between governments and uh, central banks. We obviously had that Federal Reserve emergency rate cut last week. We saw the Bank of Canada come through with an emergency 50 basis point cut this week, and we did see Trump coming back, had a speech today implementing uh, basically a state of emergency, and the market really, market really liked that. You had 10% gain in the S&P 500. You saw a Canadian government announcing new stimulus measures, TSX up 10% today. That's some price action on specific sectors. Uh, airlines, many of them down 20 to 30%. Cruise lines down north at 30%. Talking about Black Thursday, which in Canada was the largest stock market decline in 80 years. The TSX went down over 12% on Black Thursday. So not since May of 1940, the month when Germany invaded France during World War II, has the Canadian stock market seen a greater loss on a percentage basis than we did on Thursday. Black Thursday also brought a big decline in U.S. markets down 10%. And this already occurred after a 10% drop on Monday, bringing many equity indices globally down north of 30%. Also, the Canadian dollar tumbling massive moves in various asset classes. Um, Talk about gold. Uh, you had big decline in gold, lost sorts of volatility, and even cryptocurrency. You look at Bitcoin, 
it's allegedly or supposed to be uncorrelated, but it basically got cut in half over the couple of weeks, last couple of weeks. What are your thoughts on these crazy market moves? Yeah, crazy market moves indeed. In, in terms of uh, the actual moves today, um, you know, as you'd mentioned, gaining back about 90% of the previous day's historic fall, um, but really not bringing back on a weekly basis, you know, still down substantially. Uh, in addition, you had the Canadian banks, which are really held very like all across Canada in terms of uh, retail investors have a very heavy exposure to Canadian banks and their dividend growth as Canada is well known for uh, being huge fans of income investing. Uh, so there's huge exposure to retail investors. In addition, they just make up a massive portion of the TSX. So they were down 11.7% over the week on average, which is pretty crazy moves for you know, a somewhat stable uh, industry. As you had mentioned, the Bank of Canada with their emergency rate cut. One, uh, one interesting tidbit from the press conference uh, was Polo's mentioning that he doesn't really like the idea of negative rates, uh, but that really won't be his decision as he'll be stepping down in a couple of months. So we'll see if his successor has the same view on negative rates as if this continues, um, you know, I, I think there is a high probability that you approach the zero bound. Um, as well, RBC came out today saying that they expect uh, the economy the Canadian economy to fall into a technical recession later this year, um, which would be two straight quarters of decline. Uh, so they're expecting Q2 to be down 2.5 percent and Q3 to be down 0.8 percent. Two quarters. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so in terms of that, uh, the these estimates are pretty difficult to make at this point in time, as the coronavirus is something that really is you know somewhat difficult to model in terms of the impacts to the economy. Uh, there's just modeling the actual virus itself and how it spreads throughout society. And then there's modeling the second and third derivative uh, impacts to society. But as well, I guess just recently, uh, this is within the last couple of hours, is Trump has now declared a national emergency. Uh, so with that, he announced some measures to address the shortage of, of uh, testing kits as well as waiving student loan, providing a tax holiday uh, for student loan, or interest holiday, sorry, on student loan debt, um, as well as purchasing large quantities of oil for the strategic oil reserve in the U.S. And as well, the, the most interesting, what I find uh, most interesting is setting up drive-through uh, virus testing in Walmart and Target parking lots which that would be a really great development. It's something that we saw in South Korea a couple of weeks ago. Um, so that would be great to see not only in the U.S., but really it would be great to see in Canada as well as we wait for um, fiscal stimulus measures north of the, board, of the U.S. border. Right, right. And so what investors are really wondering here is the bad news priced in. And there's one thing I wanted to talk about specifically, just the notion of liquidity. And the crazy thing is that I read a stat that 99% of the year-to-date drawdown in equity markets was caused by moves outside of market hours. So this is occurring in the futures markets. And futures markets are famously illiquid. Anyone can basically go in there and push it down, push it up. And I believe that's largely driving sentiment and what happens the rest of the trading session. So there's been this massive decline in liquidity in basically every asset class, largely in the futures market, but you're seeing in equities, ETFs, treasury market, 
even. And it's really just being blamed on extreme price moves. Whereas back in the day, you'd have bank proprietary traders, bank market makers able to take positions, which would dampen volatility. But these days, uh, there are no more bank prop desks. The so-called Boker rule eliminated them. So you don't really have human market makers that are able to take on large sizes. And therefore, all we have are high-frequency traders that provide liquidity. However, in times of stress, in times of high volatility, they disappear. So what you have is a big air pocket where you want to sell a stock. Well, there you go. Market bid is down 20% to get your fill. And that is a major consideration uh, to take into account of what's causing this absolute mayhem. Clearly, people are scared. Sentiment is awful. And it's really more of a, a psychological issue at this point where no one wants to step up and provide that liquidity. And we're seeing it in the daily market moves down 10% yesterday, up 10% on the market. Like these moves are nearly unheard of outside of a few days in the global financial crisis. We're talking about a VIX or volatility index of nearly 80. Now that is incredibly high. Typically it's between 13 and 16 and we've, we hit 75 yesterday, a number that's only a level that's only been exceeded three days in history. And those days occurred in October and November, 2008. So that gives you a sense of what's happening here. In my opinion, all this news is kind of priced in already. We had over 30% declines in many major markets, equity markets globally. And if you think about you know, the long-term effects of coronavirus, I think it'll be a, a quarterly thing, not an annual thing. You think, you know, how will this affect earnings five years out? Unlikely to have any effect and unlikely that anyone will really remember it. The other thing to 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 realize is we're now seeing the unveiling of these massive fiscal stimulus measures, which will do nothing but great things for equities. So I encourage investors to not be scared, to realize this is a perhaps once in a decade buying opportunity. And if once we resolve this coronavirus issue, you have rock bottom rates, a massive monetary stimulus combined with massive fiscal stimulus. I mean, what's that positive for? Well, it's certainly not positive for cash and it's likely incredibly positive for equities. So I think stay long. The other thing worthwhile considering- Absolutely. Uh, it's the price action in oil. I mean, we basically over last weekend had an unveiling of a price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia. Basically, Saudi Arabia went after Russia and North American producers as well. They announced an aggressive oil production increase to punish Russia for not agreeing to an oil production cut to counterbalance the reduced demand from this coronavirus panic. And Russia they're really reluctant to participate in joint production cuts, believing that they are actually subsidizing the U.S. shale industry, which they're trying not to do. Ultimately, Saudi Arabia announced a massive increase up to 12.3 million barrels per day. So that's 2.5 million barrels per day, more than it was producing. And it's even greater than their maximum sustained output capacity, which goes to show you they are actually selling crude from storage to absolutely flood the market drive prices down to rock bottom levels, really to hurt rivals such as Russia, hurt U.S. shale companies in the process as well, and really fighting for market share here. 
it's just a shock and awe strategy from Saudi Arabia. And we had one of the biggest down days in oil ever Monday morning. It WTI dropped from, uh, I think, 41 to 30. Brent, the international ben- benchmark, dropped from 45 to 31. Uh, just incredible moves combined with all the, the equity moves and coronavirus panic. It's really just um, a very unique time. What are your thoughts on Saudi Arabia's moves in the oil market? Yeah, I remember on well last Sunday, it was mid-afternoon that I came across uh, some of this info as I was doing some of my reading, preparing for the next week. And it was, the, the world was already a little bit, <laughs> that's uh, in quotations, a little bit uptight on uh, the coronavirus. And then you had this, to compound things where it really just wasn't great timing for equity investors, especially Canadian equity investors that are quite leveraged to Canadian or to the energy sector. And looking at the TSX energy index, it was down 36.5% on the week. Yeah, and that's, that's including the... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so it's it's been an absolute, you know, just carnage in the energy sector this week. And really, as you kind of mentioned, it isn't wrong like that, that Russia is somewhat subsidizing U.S. shale in effect by having, having these uh, production constraints. Uh, that isn't incorrect, but really this was kind of North American producers being hit with a ricochet shot being caught in the middle uh, between Saudi Arabia and Russia. Um, and as you had mentioned, this really isn't something that so- the Saudis can sustain over a long period of time. But I guess if they were going for kind of maximum effect, this was, I, I guess, in that in that res- regard, the right time to do it for them if they were trying to have the biggest impact that they could have. Um, but really moving forward, I don't believe this will be really even talked about a year from now, but the effects may still uh, still you know be be ongoing for the next couple of months. Yeah, this one is a, a really tough one to call. It's like you have uh, MBS who, who runs Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, and he's been kind of a wild card in terms of what his goals are and what he's looking to accomplish. Clearly, this is just a kamikaze strategy on his behalf. And and there's basically a number of potential outcomes. Russia could realize their mistake and come back to the table with the hope of coming to a production cut agreement and getting the oil market back to balance. Or this could be a multi-year price war where they both battle for market share and combine with U.S. shale producers who are certainly struggling. But um, it could be a, a multi-year scenario in which you had rock bottom oil prices. So it's, it's a real tough one. I just wanted to touch on some numbers which really uh, give you uh, a sense of how massive this supply gut will be in the oil market. So analysts are predicting that global oil inventories will expand by nearly 1.4 billion barrels over the next year and a half. Uh, this is enough oil to fill 88,000 Olympic swimming pools, which would stretch from New York to San Francisco if lined up in a row. So horrible, horrible news if you're an uh, oil and gas producer in North America. They're just getting absolutely punished, as you indicated. Uh, Many of their stocks down 30 to 50% on Monday in one day to see a large cap oil producer see their stock cut in half is certainly uh, quite the shocking thing to see. GSX Energy Index 
getting absolutely crushed year to date, down more than 60%. However, there is one beneficiary, ship owners. So why this is positive for ship owners is because traders can buy cheap oil today, lock in a higher price by selling it at a future date and storing that oil on a ship. So what happened was the cost of chartering vessels used to transport crude, it surged uh, as the oil price tanked with the Baltic Dirty Tanker Index up 38% this week. So that just gives you a sense of uh, the beneficiaries being ship owners and the positive economics to them. Lastly, on the podcast, we wanted to touch on one more subject. That's the notion of M&A within this bear market caused by coronavirus. Many people ask, you know, are people going to cease mergers and acquisitions? Is that market going to go completely silent? Well, clearly not. We had a massive deal announced this week with Aon buying rival Willis Towers Watson for nearly $30 billion. This was an all-share deal at a 1.08 exchange ratio, represented a 16% premium to Willis Towers Watson's unaffected price. And this was a deal that actually almost got, uh, it almost occurred last year when these two parties unveiled merger talks, but then Aon walked away the day after uh, the media reported on it. So clearly this is a strategic move that they're thinking about over many years. They previously tried to get a deal together. Um, Aon stock has outperformed since then. So perhaps that's one reason why they came back to the table, but it's clearly showing business as usual in the M&A space, for the most part, clearly some parties will be stepping back specifically in terms of the cyclicality. It's important to note that private equity firms, in terms of leverage buyouts, those tend to slow down dramatically during a recession, just because the ability, the availability of credit uh, comes down dramatically. And that really causes private equity firms to step back from the market. So they are not counter cyclical at all. Uh, but commenting more on this Aon willis Towers watson deal, it is actually the largest insurance deal ever. And this is occurring in a bear market and supposed recession. This Proforma entity would be valued at $80 billion. That'll make it the new market leader larger than Martian McLennan. Uh, the current merger yield, it's trading roughly 6.5% annualized with an implied 50% odds of success. Obviously, when you have a deal this big with major uh, anti-competitive implications, it's gonna face some antitrust risks. So that's what the market's pricing in here. Price action. Uh, on announcement, Aon shares dropped 16%. Willis shares fell 8%. But who knows if that's related to the deal specifically. It was announced on Monday, which was a massive down day in the market. So that could have something to do with it as well. What are your thoughts on this absolutely massive M&A transaction? Largest insurance deal in history to happen in, a, in the midst of a bear market, no doubt. Yeah, the timing certainly was interesting. But as you had mentioned, like, I mean, the, the companies have been talking likely for you know, over a year. And specifically on this transaction, they would have been working with their bankers over a number of months. So this isn't something that, especially when it is a share deal, that they're not as concerned with the short-term market timing, as you had mentioned uh, in your discussion of private equity, uh, leverage buyouts in a bear market. There's no financing risk in this scenario, but will be interesting to watch. And another thing that's happened this week in the M&A space has been the Cincinnati Bell uh, bidding war with 
McGuire, you know, even going so going so far as producing an an overbid uh, in a historically bad uh, week for the markets. So that is another indication of some of these transactions being, you know, a lot more long term focused as opposed to just looking at one particular week. One other thing I did want to touch on was just M&A spreads in general, uh, which definitely have blown out over the over the last week. Uh, when really since this downturn started, if you look at February 21st, uh, when this downturn kind of began the last Friday, as of the close then, the implied merger, the implied yield for the, our merger universe is was about 5.6% and a 92% probability of closing for the deals in the merger universe that's in the US. As of today now, the implied yield on that universe is 16.9% with a 75% probability of close. And that's that's actually after narrowing a bit, um, with the peak being on, unsurprisingly, on Thursday, where it peaked out over 18%, uh, looking at the yield, and a 69% probability of close, which when you're looking at that, right now, mergers, the, the, what, the, what the market is telling you is that there's a 25% chance uh, that the de- that current current deals would break which would be really historic levels what what are your thoughts on the current merger arb universe julian yeah a number of things number one ton of panic and fear in the market as indicated by the vix at 75 so it's just showing that uh, people are scared and that's shown through yields, not just in merger arbitrage, you're seeing it basically in every asset class, municipal bonds, leveraged loans, junk bonds, just spread widening dramatically, credit spreads widening. So merger arbitrage is no different. Um, clearly, uh, the other thing is liquidity. As we talked about, there, there's not a lot of liquidity in these markets. This is what's causing these massive price moves combined with all the panic. You have perhaps hedge funds degrossing, uh, trying to wind down their books a little bit, just so they uh, don't have so much exposure and volatility in their returns. You saw some funds uh, hurting and looking to dial back risk, and that's leading to widening of deal spreads. But clearly, the widest M&A spread since I've seen, uh, since 2008, once in a decade opportunity set, uh, as of yesterday, 18% average annualized earn, uh, in our merger universe, which is pretty exceptional opportunity set. So it really goes to show you that you can be opportunistic here and allocate to some of these uh, M&A trades and really make uh, pretty exceptional money uh, if you believe that all of this will blow over and deals will still get done. And you're seeing it, you're seeing it this week, uh, Cincinnati Bell and Macquarie, that deal got announced, the Aeon and Willis Towers Watson. So as long as these are strategic deals with you know, long-term rationale for these companies to get together, that's really something you should be focusing on. Don't focus on the tape. Don't focus on the fear and panic in other investors, uh, what they're talking about on Twitter or what you see in the newspaper. Just be concerned and careful about deals that require a lot of financing or are highly cyclical. 
you're definitely seeing increasing risks on those, but the highly strategic ones that um, are, are lower risk in nature, perhaps no financing issues, etc. Those are the ones to really focus on here, and you can find tremendous returns in this market. As you can for for many markets, I mean, stocks are significantly cheaper than they were three weeks ago. As for many other asset classes, just goes to show you that you know no asset class is an island. They're all somewhat uh, interrelated when you have a big crisis such as this. Any other thoughts on this deal? Are we ready to wrap it up? No, and like I guess not specific to this deal, but just in general, um, you know, many much of the discussion today was on the market sell-off, um, as well as the Saudi price, Saudi-Russia price war in oil, and then some of the fear that's that's actually spreading into the merger spreads, and really, you know, speaking from my experience, you know, this is probably the most that I've been watching the tape over over any week in in my investing career um, and what it really comes down to is it is tempting to watch the tape and be emotional about each each up and down tick but what really where, what this really has shown is the importance of just having a process and sticking to that process as you know the the world is <laughs> becomes very irrational in times like these and it becomes even more important than ever ever to keep a level head on your shoulders and not react too much with the market, I think is is something to take away from from this week, which really has been a historic week. Yeah, that's something to consider and advise to investors. I think one of the worst things you can do psychologically and one of the worst wastes of your time is to continuously monitor and check on security prices during each day. Especially if you have a long-term time frame, if you're buying buying uh, interest in businesses that you plan on owning 10, 20, 30 years, what does it matter if it upticks or downticks 10% in one day and just wasting your time watching that? All it does is really cause mistakes. People get spooked and panic sell at exactly the wrong time. And you never know when the bottom is in, but I can tell you the exact wrong time is in a bear market when stocks are down 30%. More often than not, uh, well, pretty much nearly every time, that's the time you should be buying aggressively. If we think back to um, 2008, um, that was really a once in a decade or perhaps generational buying opportunity. And I think we're seeing something similar here. If you look at private equity investors, how many of them are freaking out? Well, none, because they're not paying attention to the price moves because there's ownership, their securities, their investments don't get marked to market on a microsecond by microsecond basis. So take that approach to investments, have a long-term asset allocation framework. If it makes sense to rebalance, then rebalance, be opportunistic and try to be, uh, you know, just smart about it. Don't panic, don't make any rash decisions that's going to throw you off your long-term asset allocation framework. So that's really your bear market game plan and how you should view things really with the result of uh, you know the best uh, financial decisions that you can make. But nonetheless, that wraps it up for today's podcast, episode 58. If you want to check out more episodes, you can listen to them at uh, absolutereturnpodcast.com. I implore you to follow us on Twitter. My handle is at Julian Klamochko, K-L-Y-M-O-C-H-K-O. And Mike, what's your handle? Mine is M underscore Kesslering. I just wanted to comment on this whole coronavirus, how it affects people uh, 
from a human perspective, obviously, it is a big deal if people get sick and we're trying to prevent that. So one thing that we're doing, implementing work from home uh, systems uh, at Accelerate, uh, hence... Apologies for the low quality of this podcast. We are, uh, I am uh, recording it just via a laptop and Zoom. We are not in our uh, current podcast studio, unfortunately. So this one may be a bit lower quality. However, we felt it was important to update investors, provide our insights and advice in a key time in the market, such as right now. Uh, I believe investors want to hear what we have to say. And you know, we follow these things 70, 80 hours a week. Uh, many investors have full-time jobs. They may not be able to pay attention to this stuff, but we're following the stuff. We're analyzing it or, and we're preparing providing our views with the goal of helping investors, not just investing their money, but you know, providing value-added advice as well. With that said, we wish you the best of luck. Certainly wild times in the market. We'll see what next week's markets bring for us. But until then, wish you the best of luck in your investing and we'll chat soon. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast, Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.